So, Chris, the people want to know our secrets. How did we get this podcast started? Yeah, kind of a crazy story. We were both coming into this from the YouTube side, have never really done anything podcast-wise. We looked around, found Anchor by Spotify, really great service. It's completely free to use. They have some great stuff that you can just upload straight onto the website. You can actually record on the website. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome into another episode of So Rare in the States. My name is Chris, the MLS card guy. I'm here today, as always, with my co-host, Nashi. How are you today, Nashi? Good, Chris, mate. How are you? Oh, we're living the dream. We got a little stack going in uh, in All-Star Limited, and we're uh, we're doing really well there. I think I'm at the, like, 425 points or so, so it should have some nice rewards coming in, hopefully. Uh, speaking of nice rewards, we have the uh, So Rare celebrity himself. We have Harry Trades on today. How are you today, Harry? I'm doing well, mate. Thank you for the for the intro. I appreciate it. Of course. Well, when you win in U23 Super Rare, was it U23 Super Rare? You get a podium. I think you you deserve a pretty good intro. Tell us tell us about that uh that lineup and and it was great fun watching you on the live stream. Really really fun to watch you sweat it out. And uh, Ryo obviously ended up scoring and you got what you needed to stay on the podium. So tell us a little bit about that. Oh, mate, unbelievable. Pandemonium. Um, yeah, just wild because the lineup that actually came third, like you just referenced, like it wasn't even my strongest lineup of, of that week in a sense. Like I didn't prioritize it, you know, because it was, I, well, for one, I, I played a rare in there, which is quite rare to play a rare in, in a super rare division. Um, but yeah, it was, like I said, not my strongest lineup on paper, but just stupidly lucky. I got two clearances off the line between Nico Williams and Eric Garcia who then subsequently gave away a pen, so it kind of cancelled um, the goal line clearance. But he had a 47 AA score um, as my captain, got me 121 points. And yeah, that was the Sunday afternoon. So at that point, I was hovering between first and second, but I kind of knew that I weren't going to win it because there was a few strong lineups uh, below me with like a Julian Alvarez super rare captain. There was there was all sorts going on. So at that point, you know, I wasn't getting too ahead of myself, too excited. but. Um, yeah, the Monday comes, like you said, with the, the Real Vallecano Valencia game. And yeah, I needed Real to score a goal at any point in that game. They did. It was disallowed. Um, like you, like you referenced the that stream. That was maybe the best crazy. moment. That was the best moment yeah. when the disallowed goal and you just like <laughs> dropped. Oh, that was great. But then they ended up like, scoring really late on, right? They did still score pretty late on, mate. Yeah, it was like in the 80th minute at some point. So yeah, it was, it was tense. But at one point it was funny because I was still, I was still actually in third, even though the uh, Mamadash Billy, the Valencia G- uh, GK, had a clean sheet. It was because he had an, a minus AA score. So I was like by a fraction of a point still in third. But then he made a few saves and I ended up dropping down to fourth before uh, Real scored. So yeah, unbelievable. Got got a decent reward. I got um a J-League, um, bit of a wonder kid to be fair, from last season. But he's been quiet this year, to be fair. He hasn't, um, hasn't really started many games. His name's... Uh, Arakai, he's like a 20 year old, 19 year old midfielder from, um, Antlers in, in the J League, like I said. But yeah, one, one to keep hold of for a little, for a few years, I think. I, he plays like the Japanese 23s. And last year he was on all set pieces, penalties, all sorts. But 
they've brought in a few um older guys at, at Antlers this year, which means basically he's fallen down in, in the pecking order. But yeah, uh, unbelievable, like you said. I I don't think it'll ever happen again. 485 points. I've I've only barely scraped 430, I think, um, as as my previous highest score on so rare today. So that was uh, that was unbelievable. Um, yeah, just still buzzing from it to be honest. That's, That's absolutely great. insane. I was gonna say, do you think um do you think they could do something? Where I, I was thinking when you were telling that story about the guy who you're kind of battling with for that third spot, that would be brilliant to have, be able to have some sort of like interaction where, do you know what I'm saying? It's like a head to head. Like I've been in that situation. I'm like clicking the guy's gallery, like anti sweating him, sending him all the bad luck. You know what I mean? If he's just pit me to like a podium or something, I think oh, in the future, mate, in the future, they need to like, you know, on a Sunday or something, do some sort of mechanism where you can you can kind of get in a group chat or something with a couple of other guys who are in the running that would be, be really funny to see the other side of that that'd be unreal wouldn't it like their own sort of like video calling slash messaging service on so if that makes sense you could message them on there rather than having to go to discord or twitter if they'd have them connected and yeah you could just yeah just send them part look like you said and just just sweat it out <laughs> with them that could be actually a really really funny feature you know It'd be fun to watch yeah. me and Ashy fight for 15,000th place in, in America Limited. So it'd be just great oh. fun to watch that. Hey, speak, speak for yourself, mate. Yeah. I mean, hey, whoa, I'm okay whoa, whoa. I'm, I'm, okay I'm in line for a reward. I'm in line for a reward this week on Champ America, so I don't want to hear it. Um, I'm absolutely shocking this week, so I've got to stay quiet. <laughs> so one one of my big mistakes this week was I have a uh, Alec Khan rare card. And I was going to put him into my all-star rare team. And I figured, you know what? I've got a couple super rares. I've got a couple of rares I'm not using. Why don't I just throw them in, in an all-star rare pro? Um, and Alec Khan, figuring that Alec Khan would give up three goals to Atlanta, because Atlanta is really good moving forward. And Cincinnati is really, really poor in the back. And he stands on his head, picks up a penalty save, picks up a clean sheet, scores a 90. And the rest of my all-star lineup does really, really well. And, uh, yeah, the, <laughs> so I, so I basically split Alec Khan up from my all-star rare lineup. So I would have been in pretty good spot with the all-star rare. Um, but that kind of gets us into for this week. I was watching that Atlanta Cincy game and that was tough to watch Brad Guzan go down. I think they said, uh, Achilles injury, maybe something on like the back of his heel. Um, so probably season over for, uh, Brad Guzan, which is is really tough for a guy that's a consummate pro. He's been around forever, um, really important to the city of Atlanta, obviously the captain there. Um, but it opens the door up. Bobby Shuttleworth is the backup. He's going to assume the starting role for now, we think. And then we'll have to see how Atlanta handles this coming up in the uh, in the summer months, if they go out and, and buy a new goalkeeper or if they just stick with Shuttleworth. Um, I, I, I'd say um, a bit of it comes down point, to how it was... plays, right? Yeah, I mean, I was watching Chicago last year and they were horrendous, but Shuttleworth was actually in amongst the mud. He was actually performing really well. Like, I mean, he was just taking on just, he, like we were saying about Hazel last week, he was just, there's nothing he could do, just getting peppered every game. They were getting pumped. I think he's actually, I think he'll be, because a lot of people are probably trying to hedge that right now, whether he can hold down that spot. But like I said, because of the Chicago thing, I was watched a lot of him last year. And he didn't get dropped for Slanina. They were just so bad, they had nothing to play for. Right. And the coach was kind of like, well, like with Bobby's blessing, they were basically like, we might as well give the young kids some minutes, you know, yeah. preparing for this season because he's kind of the future. So it wasn't a case of like him being bad and getting dropped. But 
for this sort of sixteen year old kid. It was more of the team being awful, had nothing to play for. So um I don't actually have a shuttleworth, but I if I did have him I wouldn't be I'd I'd be pretty confident he can hold down the place. I mean I I'd, I'm pretty sure he has more first team experience beyond Chicago, right? Um Chris, yeah. you probably know. Yeah, he's been a starter in the league before. He is getting up there in age, though, um, so maybe a slight concern there. But yeah, I he he's a very solid, solid-ish backup. So that's kind of what the backup's there for. If the if the starter goes down, then you kind of see what he has. Speaking of Chicago, um, I I know that Chicago was playing LA Galaxy here this week, and uh, those are two of kind of the teams up your alley. I assume you watched that game, man. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I mean, probably an hour in my heart. Hour and a half of my life that I'll never get back. It was a bit of a, a bit of a snooze fest. It was a, it was a nil nil. Um, I don't think there was a shot on goal till the second half. It was one of those games. I think it was more driven by the fact that Chicago are down a few of their creative players, a few of their key players, and they kind of didn't want to push too much. They kind of set out defensively. And by the same token, the Galaxy coming away from home, traveling to Chicago have been in decent form. They weren't sort of frying bodies forward they were kind of playing pragmatic too so it just it just resulted in a in a nil nil which i think for the for the spectator was a bit um pretty pretty terrible but for each team i think they'll both be happy with that point and just move on to the next game um yeah there wasn't much much to take away from the game yeah another clean sheet for our guy gaga slonina um harry do you have a gaga slonina i don't mate no i've um the only under 23 us U.S. playing keeper I have is Martin Pice for for FC Dallas, whose eligibility will be pretty soon. But yeah, no, I I would like Sonina. Yeah, like we all know, his utility is gonna go on forever. It seems like I think was he was seventeen. Yeah, seventeen. Maybe he's turned eighteen now, but he was only seventeen when he won the job last year. Um, so yeah, he's got eligibility for days. And uh, yeah, Martin Pice is a little bit of a sore spot for me because I was very heavily invested in Jimmy Mauer, and that did not turn out so well um did you watch any games this week harry i did mate yeah i had a, I had a, a well a lot of interest actually in the new york red bulls versus fc dallas game it was a nil niller um yeah that uh dallas were, were really poor i thought i mean i know they were on the road so you know they probably weren't going to be the most dominant team on that field but yeah new york red bulls absolutely bad um, they had like 20 shots seven on target um to dallas is five on sports five total and, and two on target it was yeah, it was a poor show, and I thought from Dallas. I mean, Ferreira just didn't really get anything to work with. The team was just so, um, so deep. There, there was just nothing to really work with going going forward. Alan Velasco is a player I do like. We'll mention him later on, maybe with the under twenty three situation on in in the MLS. But yeah, he he was really quiet. I thought he would have you know done a bit more. But yeah, Red Bulls were good. I, I've got a lot of interest in Frankie Amaya. Um, he was in my under twenty three team this weekend and. It was his first game back. I didn't know whether he would have started actually because he had a red card the game before last, which was sh- a shocking decision. I don't know whether if you if you guys have seen it, the second yellow he got given, but it was unbelievable how that was a, a red card. But anyway, missed out last week. Back in this week, had a, had a really decent score. I think I've got his super rare, so he, he, he racked up like seventy six points for me, which was which was really nice. Um, John Tolkien had a decent game. Ashley Fletcher actually started. He's a ex West Ham player. I know. Um, Nash, you'll know him well. Um, and then I don't know if you guys watch much Red Bulls, but a kid called Omer Fernandez, who's a, he puts himself about, but for me, he's just nowhere near good enough. Lewis Morgan was okay, tries to make things happen, but again, end product wise, he, he just really don't do it for me. Not that he's an under 23 lad, but regardless. Um, yeah, very dominant from Red Bulls, but just couldn't get that goal. 
It's interesting you say that, and I know Dallas has a ton of U23 guys. You mentioned Pies, you mentioned Velasco, you mentioned Pereira. I want to get your thoughts on, it's kind of one of the older guys, but a guy that's been around for a little while, uh, Paxton Pomacall, still under 23, I believe. Um, do you think he has any place in like a U23 stack over the summer with the two guys up top? Um, or is is that something where you would stack maybe just the two of those guys and find some other U23 guys for the summer? It's a good question. Um, I am actually a, a Paxton Pomacall owner. I do have one of his rare cards, and I've, I've had him since well, before the MLS sort of started this season. So, you know, I I bought him pretty cheap, so I, he wasn't much of a, a gamble in that sense. Um, he, like when, Every time I watch him play, and I watch most Dallas games, he's really good. Like He's athletic. He gets around the field. He tackles, he intercepts, he wins duels. Like he does everything you want in a sentiment, like a box to box sentiment fielder. The only thing that I'm not really seeing from him is that like scoring output in the sense that like goals and assists. I'm not seeing I don't think he's had a goal or an assist this season. Um he's had a few good AA games, but nothing like decisive. And I think that could be the only thing he's missing right now in his game. Like yeah, I think he I think he gave away one pen. I'm not sure if he won a pen. He, he was involved with something, but I don't think he scored or assisted this season, which is one of the reasons why I'm not really playing him. Like I couldn't find anywhere to play him in any of my lineups. To be fair, this this game week, just because I just had a feel like away from home, I'm never really going to go with him. Um, to be honest, but I don't know. I just like I said to the eye, he's really really good. Like I really rate him, but in terms of like so rare scoring, I just don't know where I'm going to see those decisives come from. Um, he just seems like he starts to get, like he starts his, his starting position on the field, like too far back in a sense, like Dallas don't dominate games enough to where like they're just spraying it back and forth in, in the opposition's final third. Like they don't really dominate games in that way. It's more like transitions, counterattacks. Like I said, he is, he's athletic, but I just don't see him being that guy that carries the ball and, and makes things happen. They've got, like like you already mentioned, Velasco, Ferreira, these guys are athletic, even Paul Ariola, to be fair. They've got a good sort of athletic front three, and the midfield three are just just dogs, really. They'll just get around the field and, and break things up for those attacking players who do their thing, you know? Yeah, I love, I love that analysis from you. His position, I think, is a little too deep, maybe on a different team. He could have an interesting run because he does have a lot of AA potential. And if he were playing further forward, he could potentially get some of those decisives. But maybe just not kind of incoming with the current way that things are set up right now for Dallas. Now, moving on to another Texas team. I watched the DC United against Austin game, and it was just it was so hard to watch. It was shocking, really. The first half, DC was far and away the better team. Austin had no idea how to defend them. DC could have easily scored three or four goals. Ola Kamara ends up getting two. I think he took his shirt off for the first, for, for either the first or the second goal, and he got a yellow card for that. But the second yellow card that he got was, in my opinion, a little bit shocking. Um, he's just kind of tussling for a ball up along the sideline, and you know the the player starts to get around him, and they both kind of just run over. It wasn't it wasn't anything like malicious or anything like that. It was a foul, but to me, just can't be a yellow card, and really can't be a second yellow card. Put DC in a bad position, but to be fair, you get to the 80th minute, you're up two nil. There's no reason at home that you should not at least get a point out of that game, and they end up losing 3-2. Full credit to Austin. Danny Hosen came off the bench. One of my offseason acquisitions that I had kind of I had kind of sold, I had uh, kind of given up on, 
and now he's gotten he got a substitute appearance last week. He's got a substitute appearance this week and came on and was just absolutely deadly for Austin. He really uh, got into the box and, and made things happen. So um, maybe one to keep an eye on if you're really, really desperate for a striker. Um, Danny Hosen is probably only coming off the bench, so he's maybe only like an underdog type of guy. Um, but he did look very, very good. Um, Nashi, did you watch any other games this week, buddy? I watched the uh, the Nashville-San Jose game, and it was actually a good game. I mean, Mukhtar um, turned it on. His first goal was really nice. I don't know if you saw that. He almost carried it from halfway line and just sort of drifted through the whole team and a uh, nice finish there. But another standout player for um, for San Jose was, uh, I'm going to butcher the name, but is Ebobise, is that right? Jeremy Abobasi. Abobasi, yeah. <laughs> I was nowhere near it. But yeah, I mean, he was he looked really lively. For a team who, I mean, Nashville were looked like the better side, uh, more more balanced. San Jose were playing in moments a little bit, but he looked dangerous. You know, like it was that's what made it such a fun game. Like he and he did. He got on the score sheet twice. And to be honest, I didn't know much about him. This was almost the first game I'd seen him play. Um, can you tell me a bit about him? What was is he? Is he been a prospect? Is he in a good bit of form, or what do you think? Yeah. Yeah, so he broke onto the scene in Portland a few years ago, was really, really good for a little while. He would be what we would have considered a pretty decent prospect, and then had some injury issues. He had, I think last year, two years ago, maybe he had some concussion issues, which were very, very serious, and there was a question over whether he could actually play. Um, he comes back, Portland trades him to San Jose, so he kind of gets a fresh start, which I think he needed, and last year, again, he had some of the injury issues in San Jose, but if he can... I mean, the talent has always been there. We've never questioned the talent. It's can he stay on the field and can he be consistently productive is always the thing with Jeremy Abobasi. He, I don't know if he's been capped for the U.S. national team, but he's like he was at least on the fringe for a little while. Um, so, yeah, he's, he's definitely a very talented boy. Um, another one that they have out in San Jose, which maybe you would know about, Harry, uh, Cade Cowell. Have you watched any Cade Cowell? It's a funny story, that, mate. Um, before... Well, when I first joined Sora back in January um, of 2021, the MLS card just got released and, you know, the, the platform was obviously a, a lot smaller than it is right now. So, you know, talents, MLS talents, that sort of thing was kind of like not really a thing. As in like, you know, nothing was like, no one was going for crazy amounts of money before playing. And anyway, I ended up buying a Cade Cowell um, as one of my first ever guys. And it wasn't like, I'm not going to sit here and say I watched him play and stuff. I watched him in the U16s and stuff. I, I never, I just literally just randomly bought him. It turned out well. I ended up times 10, um, on, well, times 10 my money on him. I bought him for like 45 pounds, $60. Ended up selling him for like, yeah, 450, $600 roughly. So that was a good little bit of business. Um, because I remember last season, he ended up like, he started the season really well. He had like a goal and assist in the first couple of games. There's a lot of hype around him. And then it really died down after that. And then obviously coming into this season, I don't really think he's done much, if I'm honest. I haven't really been tracking him like too much. He did like, I'm going to be biased. Like he's just not my type of player. I, I me and Nashi were speaking before we, we started recording in terms of like we have soft spots for players, like for certain players with certain characteristics, right? And Cade Cowell doesn't really like fit into my like flary and, and like really technical players that I do like. And I'm not saying there's only one way to play Sorry, don't get me wrong. But I'm just saying for me, my personal preferences, Cade's not somebody that like I look at and go, wow, this kid is unbelievable. Like he's got electric pace. Um, he's strong. He's a very big kid. 
um, very fast, like I said, which is obviously very, very useful being a, being a forward player. But I'm just looking here. I think he's got one goal this season. Um, he averages 63 minutes per game, started four games, got an assist as well, to be fair. So not horrendous stats for an 18-year-old playing in the MLS, don't get me wrong, but not somebody that I look at and go, well, this kid is going straight to the top, you know. But, uh, you know, nevertheless, a talented kid. Yeah, for sure. And he kind of, honestly, he kind of reminds me a little bit of Adama Traore, right? Like he's got yeah, this absolutely electric pace. He's big. He's strong. It, even for an 18-year-old, he's like a big guy. Um, yeah. And he, it seems like he should be better than he is, maybe. Um, and you like you all, you see the potential. You can see like on certain plays, it's like, well, just nobody's ever stopping that, no matter how good you are. Um, but then he just isn't in the right spot all the time. Doesn't always have the right movement. Um, so yeah, I think he's he's definitely got some development. Wish wish him the best. I hope he turns out because man, if he can figure it out, he's gonna be absolutely unstoppable. Um, but that kind of kind of rolls us into kind of our next topic here, which is some U23 players. You talked about a, a getting a U23 player before he was really a big thing and then kind of selling him on. Obviously, we're going to have MLS cards at some point. Hopefully, it's this week, um, but we're going to have MLS cards. I know we've talked about this like three straight weeks on the podcast, um, but we will have them at some point. Um, who are the guys that you're you're kind of looking at? And I know you're a big U23 guy, so you're you're probably looking that way. But who are the guys that you're really excited to get onto the platform and, and see how they can do on so? Yeah, good question. Um, so I think there's like two categories here to really like, like they fall into place. So one would be like players that I know are going to like that, that aren't on Sora right now that are U23, but I know that are like when they do get on there, they're going to score pretty well as soon as I buy them. But then there's other guys where, you know, the longer term guys where they might be good. They might be in and around the first team. They might have scored a goal or not, but they're not going to be your staple SO5 scorers, right? There's like definitely a difference there. And they both have their place. You know, there's like the longer term tactic or like the sort of like the shorter term, um, tactic in buying sort of not ready made under 23, like elite, like players and scorers, but just guys that you know you're going to be able to play in, in the, in the next few weeks, months, um, of the MLS. So there's a few names. Um, two names that stand out for me in terms of like guys that like I would love to buy right now and I could throw him into a lineup the next week. Um, one of them being Alan Velasco for uh, FC Dallas. Again, I'm probably a bit biased because I do watch a lot of Dallas. Um, they brought him in from a, from an Argentinian team, I think, uh, in the summer for like seven mil. I think it was like a record fee or something. Um, I'm guessing they use a lot of that peppy money um, for that deal. But yeah, that. <laughs> I don't know if you've watched him play, guys, but Jesus, that that kid is something else. Um, he's he like a left winger, tiny. Oh, he's just electric. Uh, yesterday, like I said, he was quiet, but there was a clip circulating on Twitter. He's like got the ball and and just put this put it put the ball through the guy's legs like at an electric pace. He was unbelievable, and then sort of burst through on goal. But other than that, he was really quiet. But prior to that game, he he's, he's like involved in set pieces, which is one big thing I like with with my Sora players. I like them having set piece. Um, you know, um, like capabilities and stuff. And, um, yeah, he falls into that category for me. Like him and Ferreira, that could be a, a lovely little, um, forward staff for Dallas. And then the other so, guy that's really So before, out, before you move on with that, I have a question about, about that one. So you mentioned that yeah, it's yeah. a nice little stack there with Ferreira. Maybe people yeah. that are a little bit newer to the platform or, or even people that played MLS last year and are, you know, went back to Europe and now that the summer's going to come, they're going to come back to the MLS and kind of look. Can you compare? Which one would you rather have, the Pepe Ferreira stack from last year or the Velasco Ferreira stack from this year? Good question. I had a Ricardo Pepe last year. I had a rare card, and I and I wasn't a Ferreira owner last year. I was 
I was a bit late on the Ferreira train, actually. Um, uh, obviously, Pepe was young, like he was like 16 at the time, wasn't he? He scored his first hat trick. He was, he was the guy, you know, and he was a bit bigger than Ferreira. Like it, the hype was just around Pepe, wasn't it? So like, even though Ferreira had some crazy like goals and assists last year, um, and they, they did work well together, there wasn't actually that much correlation, I think, between those two. Like if Pepe scored, it didn't tend to be Ferreira that assisted him for whatever reason. Don't get me wrong. They did at points. But like for the most part, it wasn't like a Benzema, Vinicius Jr. type of like link up play, if that makes sense. Um, so yeah, I, I was, like I said, a Pepe owner. He scored a few goals for me. He wasn't like a staple in my team all the time, but he was obviously nice, moved on. And, and I ended up selling him because that's one thing that, well, uh, it's turned out correct. He hasn't scored a goal in six months. I kind of had a good feeling that that was going to happen. And I'm not saying he's a bad player. I just think going to the Bundesliga at 18 or whatever he was at the time, it just it was going to be daunting regardless of how good and and how much of a prospect you are but but going back to like the stack i think the alan velasco and and jesus ferreira stack in my brain in my in my biased view would would be a better stack uh, you know um compared to the pepe ferreira one just because like i said velasco set, takes set pieces so does ferreira like i just think Pepe was just a goal scorer. He didn't have really that much else to his game, if I'm completely honest. Um, with Velasco, like I said, he's a winger. He's not a forward. Like, he's not a centre forward. Obviously, they're playing Ferreira at forward, but he's not a natural number nine. Um, but he's, he's obviously doing a good job there. He's got a load of goals. But yeah, I would much prefer the, uh, the Velasco and, and Ferreira stack over the Pepe one. I'm touching on that um, Pepe point you just made, Harry. Like, how big of a risk or how much do you consider like the risk of transfers like that when you're in these lesser leagues sort of and in the under 23. So if you look at an MLS, or I know you dabble in the South American leagues too, um, when you're sort of scouting players, is that always in the back of your mind that they might get a peppy kind of move, which is kind of good for his career, but you know he's kind of up against it to go there and kind of have the impact he was having in the MLS. Like how do you kind of navigate that situation? Because I know you're very well-versed in the under 23s, and that's kind of when I'm playing there, when I'm scouting there, that's always in sort of the back of my mind, that kind of decision point. Yeah, so again, another really good question. I mean, there's no perfect answer to it. Like you've obviously, like you said, you keep it in the back of your mind every time you're looking at a 23s player from, should we say, an obscure league that's, you know, outside of the, the top five European leagues. It's like, yeah, it is a massive risk, but I think it's, it comes down to timing and I'm not going to get the timing right on every single sell and, and buy of these type of players. It worked out with the Pepe one because there's always like a good period with, with this, like, let's take Pepe's, for example, right? Perfect example. Obviously, there's rumors of moves. We don't know where he's going to go. Did he go to Bayern? Did he go to Ajax? He ends up at, um, Augsburg, right? Bundesliga. You know, we, we know the normal human being knows that Augsburg aren't, aren't the best team in the world and, and definitely not the best team in the Bundesliga. So, you know, from the jump, like, he ain't going to be scoring a ton of goals regardless of how good he is just because you know, they're going to get dominated in the majority of games because that Bundesliga, as we know, is is a tough league. So I looked at that and was like, OK, the, the move just got announced to say, like, and I still held a Pepe. I think there's a, that little grace period where, like, people don't know, users don't know, nobody knows, of course, even me as a holder, how well he's going to do at Augsburg. Some people actually thought that he was going to do well. So, you know, if there is people and there is demand for that, then I think if if you if your gut feeling is telling you, which it did for me, that I just don't see him scoring as well, I don't see him being an asset to my gallery as much as he was in the MLS, and I think I can get a nice price for him, I've made a bit of profit, then then I think he's got to go. And 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 the important thing there is knowing, okay, so who's the replacement? Like 
for me, it was a, like I ended up buying a Ferreira, knowing that you just become the DP. You probably def, definitely staying for another year minimum. Uh, depends how well he does this year, of course, and if if there's you know better interest from from better clubs. But for me, it's it's got to be timing. But there is always that grace period, like I mentioned, where you know the moves guaranteed, like it's, it's done deal in the in the news, and there's always people for the most part who think that move's going to go well for that given player. And I think that is where you can sell into. Um, but don't get me wrong, there might be uh, like there might be scenarios where that isn't true. But for the most part, I think that is true. Um, and and yeah, that would be my best way to describe like. Just, just making sure that you know you realise this risk with these these good guys like Cody Gakpo. We're, we're both involved in Cody Gakpo. You're you're heavily involved with a super and a rare. I think I'm a, I've only got a rare myself. Um, but yeah, that's a massive risk right now. If he goes to Arsenal, does he even get off the like? Does he even play? Does he start? You know, there's loads of ultimately it's all out of our control. We can obviously control to sell the player, but we don't know when this news is going to break, when he actually gets the move and stuff. And that, that's the tricky thing with this. We're out of control of a lot of things. You know, we're, we're just, we're just people viewing from a distance, you know, but we do have, you know, there is a financial incentive there to get yeah. things right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I don't know if it's just me, but I kind of enjoy the, I've got a bunch of players in my gallery where there's like, probably, it's probably a bit of a coin flip where they, if they get a move and a certain type of move, that's going to be brilliant for me. They could go the other way, like you said, like with the gag pose and stuff. But like, I almost enjoy that aspect over the summertime, sort of being able to sweat the transfer news and my European players and stuff like that. I think what you, what we're touching on is like a part of the overall game. It's just a bit more emphasizing the 23s is like the fun of Sore is the fact that he's global. There's all these obscure leagues that you can pick players from and my kind of strategy for regular players is if I see a real dominant scorer in one of them leagues, I'm actually doing almost the opposite. I'm looking for the guys who are like 29, 30, and they're probably just going to retire there. You know, they've probably found their level. They're not going to get that one big move because of their age in the career. So it's almost just as a little strategy, what I generally do is look for, a, you know, someone like a Vanneker and a Morioka. You yeah. know, they're putting up scores and you know, them guys are just, where are they going to go? They're, you know, people aren't going to pay the money now. They're pretty stable where they're at. And I think that's a good little trick, but it's so tough to do that with the under-23s. I sometimes try and find, like, that guy who's almost like a tier one rather than the star, you know, like in, say, the MLS, where I think Cade Cow was like, if he kicks on and just hypothetically starts putting up some good scores and so rare, he just seems like such an American, all-American suited player. I could see him actually staying in the MLS for a while because maybe he doesn't have the technicality to make the jump to Europe yet. But, you know what I mean? Like a player like that, I think, could be safer because of their playing style where you get, yeah, some of these other, something like Pepe and Ferreira where they're kind of physical and technical. There is always that risk going on. So, yeah, that's interesting, mate. I mean, that's definitely like what Carlos Heel is, right? Like Carlos Heel is obviously the, one of the best players, if not the best player in the MLS right now. And he's kind of fits into that role as well as being like, you know, older guy, 29, 30 years old. And he's kind of found his level at a level that he dominates. And he's very, very good at this level. Um, and I don't I, I wouldn't envision him also moving back to Europe. But you're talking about like guys from from lower leagues kind of moving to a different league. Look at what happened with Tiago, Tiago Martins going from Yokohama uh, over to NYCFC. All of a sudden, his his value is is you know in half maybe in force like he is not going to put up the type of scores that he put up over in Japan here in the US so yeah the transfer thing is 
is uh, deadly, and we're we're getting towards that time of the year. We're getting towards the, you know the rumors are starting to start, starting to circulate a little bit. Um, so we'll definitely have to keep an eye on all of that. Um, Harry, you said you had a second guy that you're looking forward to a new card coming out uh, in MLS. Who is that guy? Um, so he goes by the name of Ben Bender for uh, Charlotte FC. You've been talking um, to Bob too much. <laughs> now, to be fair, this is not a this is like a you know, like a personal thing actually. In, in the sense, I know Bob is involved and, and like the look of him, but it was actually funny. This is before he ended up starting for uh, Charlotte. I. Me and my friend, obviously, we were in college and stuff, so we, we watched the draft and, you know, played soccer there. And yeah, I ended up watching the draft and saw that this kid was first. Didn't look like much of a player, like, you know, from the eye. Um, watched his highlight reel just on YouTube and, you know, he was just scoring goals. Like, I wasn't looking at him and going, wow, this kid's like the fastest kid I've ever seen in my life and the most technical kid. This guy was just like arriving late in the box and just finding the net. And similar to like a Frank Lampard situation, you know, of, of the older generations that people are watching just for reference. Like, and I was just like, you know what? It's, it's, there's something quite special about this kid. Obviously he starts the season for Charlotte and he's, I don't know what his stats are looking like now, but is it like two goals, couple of assists or one goal, couple of an, uh, assists as well. And I was, yeah, I've, I've sort of, you know, been following him and obviously know the Charlotte aren't on the, uh, on Surrey yet and, and should be in the next few weeks, hopefully next week. But yeah, he is, he's a guy that I really like to look at, look at, um, Takes a few set pieces as well. Decisive, capable, as, as we know. He's, he's put up some good numbers early on. And, and for a draft pick, I know he's first, so, you know, they're going to be good players. But to really, like, come into the MLS, and I know Charla are a new organization and stuff, so maybe they want to take risks, they want to be a bit different, whatever, and I think that's great. But, like, you know, traditionally, draft guys don't end up being that good. Like, ju- just simple as they don't. But this kid's come in and he's taken the league by storm, playing for, like, like I said, a new team and a team that isn't established. They haven't been together for years. They've, you know, you know, they've pumped a bit of money and they bought a load of Polish guys and it seems to be working whatever they're doing um, over there at Charlotte FC. But yeah, I really like the look of Ben Bender. So I need to defend the draft a little bit here because there are some good players. There's never, so you you are correct, there's never world-class players that come out. Like the Peppies, they always go to through the academy system. But there are some very, very solid MLS. You, we're talking about like guys that find their level at MLS and just kind of sit here and dominate. I mean, Walker Zimmerman came through the draft. Daryl DK came through the draft. Um, Matt Turner would have come through the draft, but he didn't even get drafted. Um, so there are definitely some guys that have come through in the past. Um, and I'm mm-hmm. glad you brought up the draft because there's actually you 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 were talking before about your like two different categories. Your guys that you're ready to throw in right away in U23. And your guys that maybe are kind of on, you know, sometimes on the bench, sometimes um, coming in off the bench, maybe the occasional spot start. And I think there are some draft pick guys that we've even see play. I, I've seen, I think, four or five guys from the draft already play, which is is pretty crazy. Typically, it takes them like a year or two to to really get into the starting lineup. Um, but you're seeing even a guy like Ryan Raposo up in Vancouver is starting to break into that team now. He was the second overall pick in maybe 2020. Um, so you, there are definitely some guys from the draft that will be getting cards in, in this new uh, new set of cards. And I think you can maybe almost even wait and just wait till the prices come down as we get towards the end of the season and just kind of buy and hold for, you know, for a long, long period of time. There's there's a couple guys like um, I don't know if he played yesterday, but I watched him maybe a week ago. Um and I'm going to probably butcher his name, Usweni Buddha, I believe, from San Jose. 
I really liked him. Uh, Thor Larfson from Houston is is getting some game time as well. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any other, and, and there's a few goalkeepers I like as well to just you know at the end of the year just buy and hold. But um, yeah, I, I love the shout there for for Ben Bender um, from Charlotte coming through the draft. Yeah, yeah I was gonna. I'm sorry, I was gonna say, Chris, like what I'm struggling to get my head around with like these. There's almost three categories of these young players coming into the league, and there's like you got the draft pick, and then there's like an under 23 initiative player, right? And then there's an under 23, is it designated player? And then you obviously can get the stars coming in as DPs. Like, what's sort of the difference between them, them categories, or is there a difference? Yeah, so that's all down to the salary cap. Um, so it, it really, for SORA purposes, it doesn't make a huge, huge difference as to what they are. Um, the U23 initiative, though, does allow them to sign players. Um, Velasco may even be a U23. I don't know if he's a DP or, or a U23 guy. But it allows them to sign players that are maybe not star prospects, but maybe like the next tier down. And they can just kind of build up the depth a little bit more. So really, the the upshot is you're going to see MLS rosters have a lot more depth than they've had in the past few years and some younger type of depth. Um, they can bring in guys from, from outside um, who are under 23 and they don't have a huge, ha- huge cap hit. Um, the advantage from getting guys from the draft is that they don't, like the generation Adidas guys who are typically the best players from college, they don't cost anything towards the salary cap. So you essentially get a free player on your roster. So it's great to kind of just get them in and, and it, it's almost like a lottery pick. Sometimes you get Daryl DK, most of the time, you know, you get nothing out of it. You just kind of get a, a bench warmer or... Um, maybe even turns into a, like a decent solid player, but um, as far as actual acquisition, most of the players, the really good young players, are going to come from the academies, and then the others are going to come from overseas signings, like we're seeing with Velasco and, and Torres and all these. Players. Well, yeah, that's why I asked because I I kind of picked up Torres because I saw that he was coming in as a young DP, so because they're willing to pay him that little bit of extra money, I'm kind of without seeing too much of him playing, I'm just back in the they're playing for him to have a prominent role in the squad. And I guess people can kind of use that as maybe scouting for next year. If someone's coming in with that DP tag or the young DP tag, they they can probably be a little bit more reassured that at least they're going to have a good opportunity to be in the starting 11, right? Yeah, that's a really good place to start your scouting from. Obviously, you don't want to just solely focus on that, um, but there is a, a difference. The hierarchy is like young DP would be the 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 biggest, you know, the biggest prospects. And then the U23 initiative would be a little bit lower than that. Um, so that's that's kind of, if you if you do see that, that's like, you know, what you should just keep in mind at the beginning. But obviously, you know, they bring some guys in as young DPs and they completely flop and some of the U23 initiative guys are, are fantastic. So it's not an end-all be-all, just a little little helpful hip, uh, tip to, to kind of get you started. I was just saying then on ter- in terms of like draft picks, I'm pretty sure Frankie Amaya was a draft pick as well, wasn't he? Number one overall, yeah, yeah, and he and he really, yeah, he was really a flop until this year. Um, Cincinnati traded him to to New York, and to be fair, New York is the perfect place for Frankie Amaya. Um, but talking about number one overall picks, uh, I watched Pereira last night. He should have been sent off for Austin. He was their number one pick last year. Um, number one pick the year before that, I believe, was Robbie Robinson, who was having a really good season. Have you seen any Robbie Robinson down in Miami, Harry? I haven't made no, to be fair. That's what I've heard of the name, I'll be honest, but I've not really seen too much um 
from him. I'm just check, checking his stats now. He, he, got on, he got on the score sheet yesterday, didn't he? And that was a weird... What happened there with Seattle, Chris? Like, their, their lineup, complete rotation, obviously an absolute nightmare for so rare managers to see that. Um, yeah. <laughs> what's, what's kind of going yeah. on? Well, that's CCL for you. Um, obviously, they played New York City in the midweek, um, got the big win there, so they're on to the final which is big news. So if you do have Seattle players, hopefully you have enough Seattle players to throw out lineups during those um, during those two legs of the final, which I believe are not this next midweek, but the midweek after that, and then the midweek after that. Um, they will be a, a, a decent favorite. They play the second leg at home. Um, I believe they're playing Pumas from Mexico. So it's obviously they're not you know, guaranteed to win, but um, they are... For sure, the best chance that and that anybody's had at winning the CCL for the MLS in, in a while. Um, but yeah, as far as Seattle on weekends for the next maybe month, I don't know if you can really trust any of them. Um, obviously, they rotated everybody this past week. It's possible they rotate everybody again next week in preparation for that first leg of the CCL final. They they really really care about that. They know that they can make the playoffs either way. So. It's tough, but uh, but give credit to Miami, right? They they've uh, beat Seattle, who was in the CCL, and they beat New England, who was in the CCL as well. So back to back wins for for a, a coach that I have been very heavily critical of Phil Neville, and uh, he is he's kind of gotten them to play a little bit now that Iguain is quote unquote injured. Um, but yeah, Robbie Robinson, really good young player. He was a striker in college, and they've switched him out to left wing, and it took him a little while to pick up the position. But it seems like now he's really starting to kick on. He is a little bit older, like 23, 24. But he's like the prototypical can get to be a pretty decent MLS level and then maybe won't move overseas, just just kind of stay here. So if you're looking for that kind of guy, maybe maybe take a look at Robbie Robbins, who's having a nice season. Yeah, he looked, he looked lively when I went to the Austin game. He was like the one bright spot. From, they got pumped 5-0, but he was the one bright spot. The CCL, Chris, is how big would that be for? Would that be the first MLS team to to win it, right? And how big would that be for the league in general? For the league, I mean, it would be huge. First of all, it's it's a big perception problem that we can't win the CCL. Um, it's really it makes people think that Mexico is a much better league than the MLS, which is not overly true. Mexico has a really good first four teams, maybe. But after that, they have a bunch of a bunch of nothing. So I'm really looking forward. We're going to get Leagues Cup like really expanded next year. So we'll actually have and, and I don't know if this will be covered or not. This will be something that we'll, we'll have to go through so rare. We'll have a huge USA versus Mexico tournament like every almost like a World Cup style where all the teams from both countries will play, which should be just an absolute blast. And we'll see really where we are talent wise. Um, but the typically the top four or five teams in Mexico are, are better than the top teams in the MLS. But the way that the salary cap is structured, it kind of makes everybody, you know, everybody's at the exact same level, right? There is no Ajax or Bayern in the MLS. It's just everybody is, everybody can beat anybody on any given, any given week, which makes it exciting. And it also makes it super, super frustrating sometimes. Um, sometimes. Yeah, it would be, it would be a big deal to, to win the CCL for sure. Um, Harry, do you watch the CCL at all? Yeah, I've got a little bit of interest, to be fair, just through Sora, because I've got a little cheeky limited forward stack of Christian Roldan and um, Jordan Morris. So, yeah, I did. I watched a bit of their game against New York last week. Um, before that, who did they play where basically I had a double decisive, like Roldan um, sort of assisted Morris, which was 
queued for one of my specialist limited leagues. But yeah, I've I've only watched, you know, I've dipped in and out of it just because of that Seattle interest. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't have really known about it that much, you know, given um, you know, the you know, us Europeans don't really take much um yeah, we don't really place much importance on like sort of cut competition for MLS guys, you know what I'm saying? But it, if they're on so rare, then there's obviously a given interest for me, you know. But um yeah, that that would be as far as I'd go with, with the whole um yeah. whole cut thing. So we we're talking about um the CCL being like the, the Champions League. We also have the US Open Cup, which you're talking about isn't a huge interest in to be fair, like the US Open Cup really shouldn't be a huge interest. I don't believe it's scored on so rare. Um, but it is important to note this midweek, most, well, not most, 17 of the U.S.-based MLS teams will be playing a U.S. Open Cup game against a lower-tier team. And this is kind of an opportunity where you're going to get rotation. You're going to get some younger guys playing. This is going to be kind of a first look at maybe some of the academy guys, maybe some of the new signings that, that we're trying to get fitness for. How much would you really rate the performances that we'll see on, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of this week, Harry, versus like, I mean, it is an actual game. It's a cup competition. It's a competitive game, but it's also going to be a bunch of young guys. How do you kind of wade into that? Do you care at all about that? Um, are you even going to look or, or is this, uh, this something that you're actually going to try to get a first look and see how good guys are? It's a good question because like, if I'm a young player and I'm playing for, I don't know, Seattle FC or whoever it is, and I'm not really getting a starting position right now, just because I'm, I'm obviously a bit younger and a bit less experienced, then you need to take advantage of these, of, of these, you know, less important, shall we say, games for that given club. Hence why they're going to be playing younger guys, right? So if you're a young guy, you've got to perform really, because if you can't perform against these quote unquote worst teams, you know, in the cup, then, then where can you perform? You know, like you can only play what's in front of you, but if, if you're a younger guy and you're hungry and you want to be, fighting for those positions in the MLS and, and getting those league games under your belt, then you have to be doing something in these cup competitions. That would be the way I would sort of approach it from from a manager's perspective if I'm playing these young guys. Like, they, they've got to perform. Like, if they can't do it against the, the easier guys, then you've got no hope of you against the harder guys. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, um, that you do really need to perform from the player's perspective. Um, now, are you as a manager going to go through and, and take a look at this at all? Are you going to watch any games? Are you going to um, see who plays? Um, or is this just kind of, you know, just kind of a, a, a bump and, and hopefully none of our actual starters play? Um, no, I'll definitely have a look. I probably, I'll be honest, I probably won't watch any games, but I'll definitely keep a tab, t- keep tabs on, um, you know, who's starting and, and who sort of performs. We don't know whether. Opta are going to actually like score the game. So for me, who I, you know, I use Sofa score a lot. Sometimes if there is a cup game, um, they even do it in the English leagues, like sometimes in the, in the, the FA Cup or the League Cup that, you know, you can't even see the ratings of the players, which makes it frustrating, obviously, because you don't know from a, a statistical perspective how well they've done. And I know the eye test is, is a big thing in another conversation. So, you know, watching in person, watching on TV is huge as well. Like I said, I probably won't watch any of the games. If they're, they're scored in terms of like the stats situation, I'll definitely go through and check if any of the guys that are like on my radar that I'm, you know, familiar with through the MLS, whether they're coming off the bench, you know, young prospects, if they're doing well in those games and 100%, yeah, you, you've got to keep tabs on that and, and make sure you're up to date with, you know, who's doing what and, and who's playing well and stuff. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah I'm actually, um, I'm going, I'm going to actually go to the, uh, LAFC Orange County game, um, on Tuesday. 
So it'll be good to it'll be good to see just from an atmosphere standpoint, see what the fans are feeling. I have a feeling it won't be kind of a sellout crowd, so it might be you know more opportunity to be get a better look at the players and just kind of more focus on the football and the young players and give them a spotlight to uh to show what they can do. So yeah, it's an interesting thing. That's great that you're gonna actually go and see one. Um, the atmospheres probably won't be the best because they are against lower division teams. Um, but once we get later into the into the competition, we get to like the quarters, the semis, and MLS teams start actually trying to win the cup, then it'll actually get a little bit interesting. Um, Atlanta is actually the defending champions from 2019. They did not play this cup in 2020 or 2021 due to the coronavirus. So um, Nashi is going to be heading to LAFC and Orange County. I'm actually heading to our game. We play Cincinnati, so I'll get an up-close look at uh, probably Isaac Tonga. I would expect to be in there, and I'm I'm really excited because I did rate him in the early season, but he has not really gotten any game time, so maybe they'll give Brenner a run, uh, but we'll have to see exactly where that lineup is. What, what do you got, I, I was I was going to say, um, moving on, although it's, a good, it's also a good opportunity for you know, we work with Pittsburgh, the USL team, and my friend's playing against the um, LAFC for Orange County. That's why I'm going. Is there an opportunity for guys to kind of do the other thing from that lower league if they really impress? Could that spark a move maybe to the MLS? Is there is there a kind of opportunity in there as well as the young players for the MLS team? Oh, 100%. It's, it's huge for the lower league teams because obviously – Anybody's looking for a marketing edge can just throw out the fact that, yeah, we can compete with an MLS team and beat an MLS team, even if it's not their first choice. The fact that you're close enough to an MLS team to be able to compete is a huge marketing thing. And then from the player's perspective, yeah, I mean, we have a ton of guys. Um, We have we had one that was in MLS training camp, uh, so he was kind of on the cusp. So he'll definitely be looking for a big performance against Cincinnati to maybe get that that big move up to the uh to the pro lo- or to the MLS level next season. Um and then from our perspective as well going to Cincinnati if we win then we'll be playing hopefully another MLS team and if we can get you know if we can host an MLS team from a financial perspective that's absolutely massive because that'll be if it's hosted at the smaller club that's their biggest game of the season. It'll be a sellout, it'll be huge, the atmosphere will be great. We'll get you know people rolling back through the door. Uh, for future games as well so it'll be uh, very very important for us Um, Cincinnati it's more of a chance to rotate and to get some younger guys in and see what they have Um, and and you know it should be pretty competitive we've got a pretty good team Um, Orange County obviously the defending champions of the USL so they should have a pretty decent team going up against LAFC so hopefully both games are are pretty decent and are uh, are good games to watch yeah I'm looking forward to it yeah I mean the yeah, you you think it is just a good scouting opportunity, and it'll be interesting for me to see the difference, the jump between sort of the two leagues, because um, that 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 is a thing that a lot of European people ask about. Like, there's the MLS, and there isn't obviously any relegation, but yeah, the USL is right there, and I wonder over time if that will become the gap will become closer, and players will be looking to make that jump jump more often. And like you said about, we have that in Europe too with like the FA Cup. And like, if you get a small team that make a little run and they get drawn, you know, on Man United, that the the impact of that is absolutely monumental for these. That could be change the whole course of the club's future. You know, that financial impact of that. And I think that's just a really cool thing to be part of the league and part of the game. So yeah, I'm excited for it. 
yeah, it should be a great time. Um, hopefully all goes well and we can come out of there with the W. Um, I want to, just as we kind of wrap things up here, I want to kind of look forward a little bit. And I want to see what, uh, obviously, Harry is our expert on U- all things U23. We've talked about guys that are not on the platform. But what's kind of your outlook for the summer? Um, obviously, it'll be a much lighter U23. There won't be nearly as many players in U23 eligible for U23. How does that, you know, how do, how do you plan for that? How does how does that go in your mind? Um, are you kind of stockpiling a bunch of U23 guys from, from America or from, you know, Japan and Korea? Or is it you have your one team and that's just going to be your team for the summer? Um. So for me personally, I've... Like you, like you mentioned, with the MLS and the 23 guys, there isn't like, there's a few, but there's not like a great bunch of them. So, you know, I've had to then, you know, venture into the other leagues, your K leagues, your J leagues, um, and even the Argentinian league as well. I've had to sort of diversify my under 23 sort of summer holdings in that sense. Like you said, j- just coming down to options, um, you know, and I do have a few MLS guys, Frankie Amaya, Pomacol, Ferreira. Martin Pice, who's still under 23. Moses Nyman, who you'll know well. I've got like a, a nice little contingency. George Campbell, um, for Atlanta. But other than that, like that's basically where it finishes. Um, because like I said, I, I see a lot of higher scoring potential in, you know, a couple of the River Plate guys. You've got Julian Alvarez, who's going to City in the summer. Uh, Enzo Fernandez, who's been immense this year for River Plate alongside Ezekiel Barco, who was of course at Atlanta last year. So, you know, there's a load of guys to pick from. There's some that I don't have. Players like Jordi Mihaljevic, who I really rate, had a wicked game yesterday, goal and an assist. Um, Nathan Harriel, um, at Philly, he's been immense as a defender. Um, and yeah, for me, well, if if, if under twenty threes is if under twenty threes is your like um, goal to play during the summer, then I don't think you could really put up a team like purely MLS based that is going to really compete. There's probably one team, but I don't think there's like a variety of. You know, there's probably not like 10, 15, 20 guys where like you can mix a match. There's probably like five or six guys, you know, between all the positions that is. I think you could probably put up one good team, um, but that's obviously going to cost a, a fair, a fair whack. Um, because of course, you know, there's not that many good MLS under 23 players in terms of like volume. Um, so yeah, you, you have to look elsewhere. I've looked in the K league. I've got a load of J league guys, but to be honest, like I did all this scouting like in December. I had a big sale. Um, I sold my Vinicius Souza Super Rare uh, for 40 during like this, yeah, about December time. I, I won under 23 Rare Pro with Vinicius Souza. I won a Cody Gappa with that. And I was like, you know what? I've got a funny feeling about this Vinicius Souza situation. I ended up selling him for 40 the same day Gerard Piquet bought a Super Rare, but he didn't buy off me. He actually bought off one of my friends for 4.5, which I'm still a bit salty about. Um, anyway, <laughs> put that 4 eat into a load of summer guys. Ferreira was, you know, Jesus Ferreira was one of them. Tani was one of them. He's a, a J-League goalkeeper. I sort of like kind of thought, you know what? I want to play in the 23s over the summer. I won't be able to do that, obviously, with European guys. So I have to venture out. I have to do a bit of scouting. I have to, you know, put, a, put the hours in basically. And I, and I kind of did. Of course, we spoke about my, my podium uh, in the under 23 situation like a week or so ago. I wasn't expecting anything from that, um, from that division up in like, I was, my target and my goal was like, you know, win a few things over the summer, you know, when the European leagues with your Mbappes, all these guys are not playing, you know, they're resting. I thought, you know, this is where I'm, I'm going to come into my own. And, and luckily I've sort of struck gold a little bit early, maybe prematurely. Maybe I won't win anything over the summer, but I feel like I'm in a, a decent enough position to where I've, 
covered all the decent under 23s from each of those sort of summer leagues, quote unquote, um, and, and tried to, tried to do things that way. Do you feel like it's easier to win U23 over the summer, or is it harder given the fact that there's just less players that you can select from and there's less, you know, there's less options, there's less really good options out there? Does that make things harder or easier from you, uh, kind of picking your team and going? It makes things, it depends on how much and how, how cheap you got the good guys, right? Like I was buying, for example, Seo Young Woo, who's a, to be fair, the last two games have been shocking. But before that, he wasn't putting up a score under 60. He's a defender in the K League. Um, and yeah, I bought him for like 500 pounds before the season had even started. And he's, he was going for like one each, like his rare. And I bought him, I'm just looking now, 0.193. So he's timed five. Like, of course, it's going to be hard for people who want to play in the 23s and want the good guys to win. But you're going to have to spend a fortune now because this is when they're in demand. You know, the, the reason why I bought them out of demand because I could afford more of them, you know, and I can afford to make more mistakes in the sense that if Seo Young Woo didn't, you know, come good, then I had another guy that might from the J League or the K League. And, you know, I was able, I had that bit of, bit of a cushion, you know, but now if you want to play in the 23s, like you said, for me, it's going to be easier because I've luckily done all that groundwork five months ago. But for someone like the ones that go into under 23s for the summer and they haven't bought one of those players right now, it's not, it's not a case of like, is it easy or not? It's more like, are you willing to spend the money? That, that's ultimately what it comes down to, right? It comes down to budget. If you've got a tight budget, then it's going to be hard for you because you're not going to be able to, you know, buy those. Like you mentioned, there isn't many good options. So you have to buy, you have to buy an Enzo Fernandez or you have to buy a Jesus Ferreira really because there's not really much else going on. So unless you're willing to spend decent money, then it's probably, you know, under 23s over the summer isn't probably, you know, your, thing if that if that makes sense and that's no disrespect that's just how i think it's going to play out is there any sort of consideration to since there are so few options maybe if enzo has a bad week or jesus Ferrer has a bad week could you know under the radar type guys actually come good and, and, and win some big rewards is it worth grabbing just kind of a team of like you know robbie robinson is having a decent season still under 23 you know you talked about harriel his price is through the roof now um, but is it worth grabbing some of these, you know, younger guys that maybe can break out or have, you know, a game or two? Or or is that just not worth it? Anymore? It depends. Like, if you've got a longer term view and you think, you know what? Yes, I want to play some under 23s and I, I want to buy this Robbie Robinson guy that's okay. I know he's not going to hit 80s every week. You know, if you're okay, it comes down to expectations. If you're okay with buying a team for the summer, knowing that, you know what? But I'm I'm pretty happy with keeping these guys for another year, two years, whatever it is. I'm not looking for like immediate return on, 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 on investment, then I think that's okay. But if you're going into it thinking, you know what, I'm putting in X amount of money and I, I need to yield X, uh, Y amount of money, then, you know, buying the like, not like, like the guys who haven't broken through yet to, for SO5, I don't think that really works if I'm completely honest. Um, I think if you're buying them for like longer term view, you know, yeah, you play them in SO5, but really they're, they're like a three to, for your, you know, time frame for you in terms of how long you're willing to hold them, then that could work because, you know, the, the, the amount of time that you've got to yield back the money that you've laid out on that given player is extended, right? But if you're just looking at the summer, then I, I personally don't think it's worth it. If I'm completely honest, I wouldn't bother. I would, I would prefer to look into some of the European leagues that aren't playing and buy a load of good guys that are going to play in the next, you know, after the summer, if that makes sense, you know, because you're getting them on a bit of a discount. There's no utility for them. They're not playing right now. I would probably, you know, you know, people always say like, do the opposite of what the market's doing, right? If everyone's, you know, racing to get 
or the hot MLS and K-League and J-League summer under-23 guys, then you should be probably looking at the, the European good guys that aren't playing right now that can help you win rewards when the European season is, is sort of, um, you know, starting back up. That would be my, my sort of best advice. Yeah, I'd echo that too, because like, it's, it's almost how I'm looking at the summer under-23s is there's such a bottleneck on the goalkeepers that the prices there are just so high that like it's almost, even if you get the cheaper, lower-end outfield players, you're still laying out a lot of money. And I think if you're going to spend that on a goalkeeper for the summer, you might as well go all in and just try and get, like you said, the high, the most optimal team to actually win you them rewards, kind of in for a penny, in for a pound kind of mentality for this summer with the under-23. Because if you've got, if you're going to spend the one ETH on one of the few keepers, that's already a risk with injuries and young keepers. You never know. And then you know you've you've got the summertime is the key time. So you want to build a team around that investment. And, and like you said, Harry, it's a. I, I agree with you there. I think you've got to go if you if you're not got the budget to build a team that can compete week in week out, then you're probably better off putting your funds elsewhere. Maybe it's a different. Maybe you still play the summer, but. You know, not in the under-23s, but yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah, a lot of different ways to go about playing in so rare. A lot of different strategies. You can buy later. You can uh, try to win rewards now. You can trade. You can flip. You can do all kinds of different things, which is why we love this game so much. Any any other questions for our great friend Harry uh, Nashi before we wrap up here? No, it was great to have a chat. I mean, we're, we're going to be heading to um, Orlando here in a couple of weeks. Little little roommate sesh, some uh, some bedtime stories maybe on the cards. I'm not sure, but looking forward to that. We're going to be meeting up with a couple of other so red people, so you get to get to meet you in the flesh, mate. Yeah, Harry, what's your bedtime stuff. snack, buddy? Bedtime snack? Oh, I'm a I'm a killer right now for a Lindor bar, like bar of top. Classy, bar. classy. Yeah. Look at that. Wow. Well, to be fair, you know, Walgreens two for two dollars. Um, I don't get the big bar; I get the two sort of thin, longer bars. Um, and that sort of does it for me. I try not to do that every night because, you know, that, that obviously, um, weighs down on, on the stomach situation. But, um, yeah, that, that would definitely be the, the midnight snack. I'm not really like, a, yeah. yeah, I don't drink milk or anything. I'm not really like a milk guy. Um, people like that before bed, but no, that, that's, that's definitely not me to be fair. Is it tough to go, tear Chris. up and down the wing? Is it tough to tear up and down the wing with Lindor chocolate in the, in the stomach there, Harry? It is, mate. Yeah, I've, I've had to revert to a, a CDM role now for me. Um, mm. Yeah, I'm not cover, I've, I'm not covering much ground with, with the Lindors anymore. So, um, yeah, I'm early retirement, I think, mate. Love it. Well, I appreciate your time, Harry. We really love that you uh, that you had the time to come on here. Um, awesome that you got the reward here midweek as well. Really great insight, and we'll definitely get you back on the show at some point. Um, but until the next time, guys, thanks for coming. Have a good day. All right. Cheers, boys. Been a pleasure, lads. We'll